Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry, your home for all hot takes, news, and other things revolving around the racing world. This is episode number 88, so we are about six weeks away from hitting that coveted episode 100 mark. Stay tuned, because we will have something big and something special for that elusive episode 100 episode. It's going to be a great episode. I'm excited for it, even though we're a little over a month away from it still. We got, let's just say it's a good time to be talking about racing. And today's going to be no different. I mentioned it in last week's episode, we're going to kind of go more in depth with this whole Texas debacle. And we'll do that today, this episode, by talking about NASCAR and Goodyear. We'll also be talking about Jimmy Johnson's quote-unquote bucket list and what that bucket list can consist of. And then we'll end off the episode with our best bets and picks of the week. Alright, so... Let's begin with me saying this. I give NASCAR a lot of credit. I give NASCAR credit when it comes to safety, their schedule innovations, and to some extent, this new car. I do give NASCAR a lot of credit. I give them the props when the props are due. I also criticize them a lot because they have a lot that needs to be criticized. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, why are you always criticizing NASCAR? Why is everyone always going after NASCAR? It seems like they could do nothing right. Well, folks, at least from my perspective, I only criticize NASCAR because I care about the sport. I mean, if you've been watching since 2006, like myself, for well over 16 years at this point, you have a bond, you have a connection with that sport that you've basically spent more than half, more than 75% of your life watching. So, with that being said, I criticize the sport because I care. If I didn't care about the sport... I wouldn't waste my time just talking to a mic about all these issues or going on Twitter and then putting my thumbs together to talk about these issues. But today we're going to do the latter. We're going to criticize NASCAR and Goodyear on the Texas debacle. Now I know I did this in our previous episode on Tuesday talk about how this could affect NASCAR's playoffs going forward, but we're going to be more specific with Texas and just Throughout the year in general, we're going to talk about things that really haven't been brought up really since last year, which feels like these problems have been persisting. Because again, I care about the sport. If I didn't care about the sport, I wouldn't be wasting my time talking to a mic discussing this with you guys right now. So, there is a difference between criticism, however, and quote unquote crapping on something just to be negative. Like I said, if you criticize something, it's probably because you care. You're trying to give back some constructive criticism. There might be some passion involved in it. It may come off as quote-unquote crapping on somebody or coming off as just being negative. However, the intentions are pure at heart. They just want what's best for what they care about. Whereas if you're just being negative to be negative, I mean it's self-explanatory. We're not even going to waste our time with that. And we won't waste our time being negative just to be negative. Because there's nothing, there's no purpose for that at all. So when NASCAR comes out and says, well, let me be more specific. When NASCAR Race Control comes out and they say, we didn't see the Denny Hamlin and William Byron incident. You know what that tells me? That quote alone, that should be the means for immediate termination. For everyone in race control. And I don't like to advocate for people to lose their jobs. As I don't think anybody should. But, going back to last episode. What did I say last episode that we could correlate to this? Give a month to figure out what new works. 
Folks, this new NASCAR race control has been going on for well over a month. This current NASCAR race control has been going on for over two years at this point. And I think it's fair to say, with the two years that we had under our belt, that this current NASCAR race control doesn't work. I mean, when NASCAR social media notices the crash and posts it before NASCAR race control themselves notice it, that is a major, major problem. And again, I don't like to advocate for people losing their jobs, as I don't think anybody should. But as we all know, qualified people need to be in certain qualified positions. For example, if you're qualified to be a plumber, that doesn't mean that you should go out being an electrician. And if you're not good at that, well, guess what? They're going to have to cut the cord on you. We're applying that same concept here. I'm not saying that I want these people to lose their jobs and not. They can still be the NASCAR industry, but it's clear that they are not qualified to handle race control and control the outcome of the race if something happens on track. It is clear that they are not qualified to do so. How do I know this? I have multiple examples just throughout the year. Not even Texas. I have multiple examples throughout the year that prove my point. Look at Daytona just about a month, over a month ago with the rain caution. Yes, I know they had about, what was it, 40 to 30 seconds? But that 40 to 30 seconds is plenty of time for you to press a caution button and say, hey, we got a caution. There's rain. Bristol with Christopher Bell and Brad Kozlowski. One was a tire fit. One was a caution when one had a tire failure. The other wasn't. No consistency. Going back to back to Texas, but back to May for the All-Star race. Ryan Blaney had his window net down. NASCAR said, no, we're going to go back green. Or they didn't even do anything to Ryan Blaney. They just left everything as it was. And what's the worst part about all this is that two out of the three that I mentioned, you could make an argument, all three of them, they're all putting drivers' lives at risk. Now, why do I say this? Why am I going a little farther to say that? Well, number one, let's go back to Daytona. You have, what was that at the time? Probably like 25 cars hurling into turn number one at well over near 200 miles an hour. And then they crash because obviously there's rain on the track. With a next-gen car that is more dangerous than the previous generation. NASCAR still took that risk. Now, as someone who lives in Florida, and trust me, the weather's pretty much the same, even though I live three hours south from the track, trust me, the weather's pretty much the same down here as it is up there. As someone who lives in, in Florida, I understand the argument that, oh, the weather just comes out of nowhere. I get it. I mean, yesterday we were dealing with Hurricane Ian. One second, it was pouring rain at downpour. I had 12 hurricanes near my area. And then the next, just like a light drizzle. Like, just like the snap of a finger. That's what happened. I understand Florida weather can be very unpredictable. However, NASCAR, as the sanctioning body, and as race control, we're going to be specific to race control, they need to be prepared. They need to be aware of this. And it seems like none of them are aware. It's like they just started the job today. And going back to the Texas All-Star Race, why are you allowing a driver, even if it's for only one to two laps, race at full speed with their window net not fully secured? That is 
a red flag, no pun intended, on top of a red flag. Both of those issues, if things gone differently, could have led to way worse outcomes. We talk about what the Ty Gibbs and William Byron finds, how especially the Ty Gibbs find, how oh that could have been a way worse outcome had Ty Gibbs hit that pick, hit those pick rumors and the NASCAR official. So we should have been fined more money. Well, if we're going to apply that, we need to apply that same outcome on a what-if to those two previous instances that I mentioned. But going back on track, it feels like these issues have been coming up more and more often since David Hoots left the NASCAR official, we'll call it the NASCAR official station. He's a former NASCAR official that handled the races, former race control official, Arguably one of the best in the sport. I mean, if you listen to Radioactive when NASCAR Fox put it out, he was the guy who always said, put it out, put it out. It basically became an iconic moment. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a t-shirt at this point, if not already. So, what is the solution, however? If you want my opinion, I'd call David Hoots up, and I'd ask him, what's your asking price to come back to NASCAR to handle race control? If not to handle it, at least start to teach these guys who are running race control now how to do their job correctly. And I'd pay him whatever his asking price is. Whatever he wants, I would pay him that money. Because what they have now doesn't work. And they need to do something fast and something soon. Because we are in the middle of the playoffs. We cannot have these issues persist, especially as we head to the round of eight and to the championship four. But NASCAR isn't the only one to blame for the Texas debacle. Goodyear deserves a lot of criticism on their own. Now, when Goodyear has a tire failure, or a lot of their tires have issues, do you ever hear Goodyear take responsibility for these issues? No. They didn't for Bristol. They didn't for Texas. For two weeks of tire failures for Goodyear, Blown tire after blown tire, cut tire after cut tire. What has been the main response coming out of Goodyear's mouth? It's teams aren't using the recommended air pressures. Now, now, I will give Goodyear some credit. NASCAR's come out and said, Goodyear's probably right. Even some team members are coming out and say, Goodyear's probably right. I know Doorbump McClear, I believe it's either Freddie Kraft or Brett Griffin, or maybe both, they came out and they said, yeah, Goodyear's most likely right. But that's not the point. What are the other responses that Goodyear has made in terms of why their tires have had issues? You've heard PJ1. You've heard resin. You've heard the track. On the time of day, you've heard the temperature. Never do Goodyear blame themselves. Or maybe that's not the right term I should be using. They don't blame themselves. Or... The right proper term to use is they don't take responsibility. And I'm not saying that, like, look, to be fair, it wouldn't be good for their brand if every time Goodyear had a tire problem, they come out and say, oh, yeah, it's 100% or fault, we are sorry. It wouldn't be good for their brand. However, at some point, you need to be the bigger man. You need to come out and put your feet on the ground, or at least stand up, and be the bigger man in the situation. NASCAR did it at Texas. 
they're getting ridiculed to hell and back. But at least they stood up, and they bid, and they were the bigger man. Goodyear needs to do the same thing. When you have back-to-back weeks of tire failures at two completely different types of tracks, with two completely different types of surfaces, might I add, one being concrete, the other being asphalt, it still makes Goodyear look like the villains at the end of the day. And when they come out and they don't take any responsibility, it just makes the situation worse for them. But no one wants this. Listen, it's a new car. We understand there's going to be issues. New tire. There's going to be issues. So what could Goodyear say? We know that they don't want to damage their brand because they're paying to basically advertise their tires to the sport. So they don't want to damage their brand. But it's getting worse for them because they don't take any of the blame for any of these issues. So, what could Goodyear say to basically stand up and be the bigger man, but also protect their brand at the same time? I think it's fairly simple. Come out when there's another issue and just say this. What should Goodyear say? Just say, listen, it's a new tire for a new car. We're still learning along with the teams. We will get better. That's all they need to say. You become the man of the situation. You take responsibility by saying, we will get better, we are still learning, but you don't place all the blame on yourself. If you still want to put some of it on the teams, you can do that as well, saying, hey, we're learning along with the teams. We understand it's an issue, we're going to get better. That's it. You cover yourself, and you don't even take 100% of the blame if that's what Goodyear really wants. But again, I'm only saying this because I care about the sport. These issues cannot persist. You can't have, like I talked about in the previous episode, a farce of a playoffs for issues outside of the driver's control. Whether it's a new race control and Goodyear getting their act together, these issues need to get fixed. Because if they don't get fixed, it still is... And it will continue to be a black eye for the sport at arguably its most important time of the season. Alright, so let's move on and let's move on to an announcement that was made this past Monday. Jimmy Johnson announced that he is retiring from full-time racing, or he announced it this past Monday. Now, before we continue for the rest of the subject, I just want to say congrats to Jimmy Johnson on a fantastic career just in general. And I want to say this, his last years in Cup, talk about his last two to three years Cup Series racing, and his two years in IndyCar will not hinder his legacy. He's still a seven-time champion. He still has 83 wins. He even branched out to other series, not just IndyCar, but sports car racing. So he put himself in the all-around race car driver conversation rather than just simply NASCAR. Now, will he be one of the greatest race car drivers of all time? And that remains to be seen. But, these last three to five years of his career will not hinder his legacy in any way, shape, or form. He will still go down as one of the greats to ever strap into the cockpit of a race car. But, when Jimmy announced that he was retiring for full-time racing, he didn't say he was done racing altogether. He mentioned... 
a bucket list of events that he would like to participate in next year. Now, it got me thinking. What do I want Jimmy Johnson's bucket list to consist of? What do I want his bucket list to be? Well, that's what I'm going to do today. Today I'm going to mention five races that I want Jimmy Johnson's bucket list to consist of. Now I will mention some other things here and there before we'll give you my list. Number one, I feel like it has to be the crowd jewel races of auto racing. So let's call it, instead of Jimmy Johnson's bucket list, let's call it Jimmy Johnson's crowd jewel journey. So this is going to be Jimmy Johnson's crowd jewel journey. And now we're about to get to the list. So here are my top five races that I want Jimmy Johnson to race on his bucket list. Now this is in no particular order. These are just the five races that came into my mind that I thought about. And I thought, yep, these are the races I want to see Jimmy Johnson racing for his, for his crowd jewel journey. So, let's begin by talking about the first race on this list. And that is the Indianapolis 500. Now you might be thinking, why do you want Jimmy in the Indy 500 again? He did it last year. Why has he got to do it again if he's already basically crossed that off? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, he was competitive on ovals in IndyCar. You look at the Indy 500 where he arguably should have been in the fast six if not for an issue of qualifying. He was fast in practice all month long. Texas, he nearly got a top five. He got a top five in one of the Iowa races. And Gateway, he was competitive. So Jimmy Johnson knows how to get around these ovals in IndyCar. So, you have a competitive driver who has a shot of winning the race. He was the 2022 Indy 500 Rookie of the Year. So, you know, it would be nice to see him just not be one and done like Fernando Alonso was. Keep building, keep continuing, keep building on that success he had the previous year. And, he's a big name with a great shot at winning. You're still going to get the NASCAR crowd involved if Jimmy Johnson continues to race in IndyCar, especially in the Indy 500. And especially if Kyle Busch decides to do the double as well and race in the 500. And if some way Kyle Larson can manage to race in that race as well, I mean, you're pretty much saying that all the NASCAR fans, yeah, come over, we want you to watch this race. So the first race on my bucket list or on my crown jewel journey is the Indy 500. Number two, speaking of the double, it's the Coca-Cola 600. And I want Jimmy to do the 600, and he's mentioned he is willing to do the Coca-Cola 600 and Indy 500 double, is just that, for the Memorial Day double. We haven't seen a driver do the Memorial Day double since Kurt Busch back in 2014. And he was fairly competitive at Indy, finished 6th, came back, I think he had an issue, but before that issue, I think he was running inside the top 10. So it is possible to do it and be competitive. And on top of that, a NASCAR return for Jimmy Johnson would be huge. Imagine the storylines. Seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson comes back for a one-off for the Coca-Cola 600. That would be a big storyline that NASCAR could take advantage of. And number three, we get to see Jimmy Johnson race the next-gen car, which is something we've not seen. He's never tested it. He's never stepped foot in it. So it would still be a new environment for Jimmy Johnson because he's never raced this car before. Number three on my list is the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Now, why do I want Jimmy to do the 24 Hours of Le Mans? Number one, it's the biggest sports car race in the world. And it is the first race on this list that I mentioned that Jimmy has not competed in. He's obviously done the 600. He's won multiple 600s. And he was the Indy 500 Rookie of the Year this year. So, this is the first race that Jimmy Johnson has not done that I've mentioned on this list. 
It's the biggest sports car race in the world, and with this being apparently the 100th edition of the race, it would make it even extra special. Because who doesn't want to compete in the 100th edition of anything? I mean, just look at the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. That race was suffering for multiple years, and then the 100th running comes around, and then it gives it a big boost that it's still riding on to this day. And number three, I feel like this is very likely because that Garage 52 NASCAR entry. Listen, Jimmy has sports car experience by racing with Action Express in that 48 car, that Allied 48 car. NASCAR is going to race a modified next-gen car at Le Mans next year. So this is a perfect opportunity for Jimmy Johnson to race in the biggest sports car race in the world. And I would love to see it. Number four, I'm giving it to the Chili Bowl. It's a dirt race. So Jimmy Johnson's never raced like a midget on dirt, or at least not in recent memory that I know of. And we've seen drivers, you know, participate in this event. I mean, not even talking about guys like Kyle Larson, Alex Bowman, and Christopher Bell, but Chase Elliott, when he won his championship the next year, he ran, he went out and won the Chili, or not won the Chili Bowl, but ran the Chili Bowl. So Jimmy Johnson, I would love to see him branch out to other disciplines of racing and race the Chili Bowl on dirt. And, in a sense, it could be a quote-unquote return to Jimmy Johnson's roots. Because before he was a NASCAR driver, he was a trophy truck driver on dirt. Not the same thing in any way, shape, or form, but, you know, it's still on dirt, so you got that connection there. And, like I said, it's a new discipline of racing. Something that Jimmy Johnson, at least as far as we know, has never done before. So, it would allow Jimmy Johnson to continue to branch out his motorsports reach, and I always think that's good for a driver. And number five, I'm going to say, you might be thinking, how is this a crown jewel? But believe it or not, it is. Even sometimes I have trouble figuring out how it is. The Long Beach Grand Prix. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, how is the Long Beach Grand Prix a crown jewel? Just if you're not like a diehard IndyCar fan. Now, you ask yourself that. But believe it or not, this is basically IndyCar's second crown jewel. And if you watch the broadcast, you hear drivers want to win this race. You hear the broadcast say, this is the second crown jewel behind the Indianapolis 500. So this is a crown jewel on the IndyCar schedule. And on top of that, it's a home track for Jimmy Johnson. So, he's, won, he's ran this race before, so he would come back to race at his home crown jewel race, and it would be a feel-good story. It would just be a feel-good story for Jimmy Johnson to race a crown jewel event for IndyCar at his home track. So there we go. There are my five races that are on my Jimmy Johnson bucklist or on my Jimmy Johnson crown jewel journey that I want to see him race for the 2023 motorsports season. All right, now it's time for a final segment of the episode, our best bets and picks of the week. If you guys don't know how this works, I have two separate picks for this weekend. I have the pick who I think is going to win the race and I have the pick on who I think is the best driver to bet on to win the race. They could be completely different drivers sometimes. They could be the same driver. It just depends on the betting odds and do I think that driver is going to win or not. So, with all that being said, we got two races to go over today. We got the Cup Series race at Talladega. And then we got Formula 1 finally making its return after what feels like a near month-long hiatus. You know, I criticize IndyCar for that. Formula 1, there's no reason for you to have another summer-long break. But then we also got the Singapore Grand Prix. So with all that being said, let's get started by talking about the Cup Series race at Talladega. Well, William Byron is currently the favorite 
at plus 1200 to win the race. However, he is not my pick to win the race. In fact, he's nowhere near close. However, the driver I do have winning the race is fairly close in terms of they're in the same shop, let alone the same team. And that is Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott is my pick to win the Talladega. Listen, he's a previous winner at Talladega, winning the race in 2019, and arguably his worst season in his career up until this point. And this feels like the perfect environment for Chase Elliott. Chase, he's starting to shake off that choking mentality or that mentality of he can't rise to the occasion. I mean, look how he won his championship in 2020, both by Martinsville and the Phoenix race itself. So Chase has started to develop a closer kind of mentality or a comeback mentality rising to the occasion. And this feels like the perfect environment to do it. A great plate racer at a track he's won at in the past. I think Chase Elliott, I mean, he won a plate race earlier this year at Atlanta the second time we were out there. So he knows how to get around a plate track with this car. So Chase Elliott is my pick to win the race and be the first playoff driver so far this year to lock himself into the next round. Now, he's not my favorite bet to win for this race, however. His betting line is around 12, 1400. It's around 1200, same as his teammate Byron. There's like about five or six drivers who are around that 1200 range. So, my bet for this race is going to go to the driver of the now 45 car, Bubba Wallace. And that's because he's the best plate racer in the field currently. I mean, maybe besides Denny Hamlin and maybe Joey Logano, there's no driver currently in the field that is better at plate racing than Bubba Wallace. He's always up front, even when he's in the back, he's always up front towards the end, always in contention. He won this race last year, albeit with a different car, but Bubba Wallace, in terms of betting, is that is my pick to win the race. Now, my least favorite bet to place for this race is going to go to Chase Elliott's teammate, Kyle Larson. And that's because, listen, why does Kyle Larson have the exact same odds as William Byron to win this race? The guy who is lucky to finish inside the top 10 in plate races, the guy who's never won a plate race in his career, I don't even think he's ever won a stage at a plate race. When was the last time Kyle Larson finished top 10 at a plate race, let alone didn't DNF? I know he's in a Hendrick car, but Kyle Larson, I always say this, there are a few drivers I can willingly say that you would waste your money betting on. Kyle Larson at a plate race is one of those drivers. Now, if you're betting on him in a mile and a half, that's a great bet. But at a super speedway, don't waste your money. Find someone else, i.e. the Bubba Wallace pick. So Kyle Larson's my least favorite bet for this race. My out-of-the-box bet is going to stay in the Chevy camp. And that's going to go to Eric Jones at plus 3,000. Listen, if he just chose, I believe, the right lane, he would have been the Spring Talladega winner. And Eric Jones is a really good plate racer. People don't understand this. He won his first Cup Series race at Daytona in a Toyota, completely different manufacturer. So he knows how to get around with different manufacturer types of cars. And on top of that, he probably should have won it in 2020 when he was still with Toyota. He was up front in the Atlanta races. He was up front at Talladega early in the year. And he was up front at the July at the August Daytona race. So Eric Jones knows how to get around these plate tracks. And at plus 3,000 odds, I think that is a great, great out-of-the-box bet to place if you want an outsider to win the race. Now, moving on to the final race, it is the Formula 1 race at Singapore, the Singapore Grand Prix, where Max Verstappen is the favorite at minus 190. Now, you know my rule. If a driver is favored to win by the negatives, then that's basically saying you have to place that bet because unless divine intervention basically happens they're going to win that race and we're going to stick with that rule 
by me picking Max Verstappen to win this race and my favorite bet to place for this race. I mean, listen, he's been unstoppable this year. No one's been able to touch him. Even the Ferraris, which have sometimes have been faster, they've qualified better than Max. It doesn't matter to Max. He still gets up front. He can win from anyone on the. He can win from anywhere on the grid. He can win from up front. He can win from mid pack. He can win from behind. Max Verstappen is the best driver in the series. No one is even close to being on this level, and he's my. That is why he's my pick to win and my favorite bet to place for this weekend. My least favorite bet is going to go to Lewis Hamilton at plus 800. I know Mercedes is getting better. Mercedes is getting faster. But they're still not close enough to the Ferraris, and they're still not close enough to the Red Bull. So why Lewis is ahead of guys like Sainz and Sergio to win the race when his car is nowhere near in contention to win? I don't know why. It makes no sense. And until that Mercedes can show consistent winning speed, which they haven't, They've only shown it for about one or two races this entire year. So Lewis at plus 800 is my least favorite bet. And finally, my out-of-the-box pick for this race is going to go to Carlos Sainz at plus 1,000. I'm not picking Sergio Perez because if I think Max is unstoppable, I don't think his teammate is going to be anywhere near close to beating him. But Sainz has shown a little more pace as a recent. He's more on par with his teammate Leclerc compared to the beginning of the year. He did win the British Grand Prix, and he has been in contention, winning a couple poles, racing up front, and he has shown in some signs to be on par, if not better, than his teammate Leclerc at the later portions of this season. So, cards fall the right way. I think Carlos Sainz at plus 1,000 would be a great bet to place as your out-of-the-box bet. And that's going to do it for this edition. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you once again to episode number 88 of the Motorsport Ministry. Again, only three weeks away from hitting that Covenant episode 100 mark. I'm excited for that. If you guys want to listen to all previous episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchor, along with Amazon Music. You can find our entire back catalog on all those major platforms. But once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.